0: everyone, Ed Arango here from Ed's Auto Garage, wanting to give a shout out to our show sponsor, Arango Insurance Services. Arango Insurance Services is a full service insurance agency. Um, We do home, auto, commercial, and any specialty. We specialize in the automotive space. So if you are a restoration shop, an OEM shop, a componentry manufacturer, we're able to insure you It's a great time right now to have your policy reviewed, see if we can um, save you money, make sure you are properly insured, and at least evaluate your policy. See if you're in the right spot. So give us a a shout out at Arango Insurance Services. You can reach us at our website, www.arangoins.com, or give us a call at 949-887-887 one two seven four enjoy the podcast we'll talk to you later
1: hello everyone welcome to another episode of ed's auto garage this is ed arango um coming to you live from uh, my garage here in huntington beach california um we are just a few days away from uh, christmas and when this airs it'll be after christmas so wish everybody had a Wonderful holiday season and happy New Year's to everyone. Um, so today I have a special guest on um from the racing world. Um, I'm not the most profound knowledge guy on racing and what have you, but uh but uh just enough to get myself in trouble. Uh, today I have a, um, a gentleman by the name of Jeff Klein. Jeff um, raced for, I guess, a number of years in the IMSA, um, IMSA world of racing and, um, you know, 24 Hours of Le Mans and another, a number of other types of racing, uh, uh, you know, venues um and um welcome Jeff to the show
2: I appreciate you being here with me it's my pleasure Ed and happy Christmas holidays to everybody yes thank you um
1: Jeff why don't we kind of start just to kind of since since I don't really know too much about you and we want to kind of all kind of learn at the same time kind of bring us up to speed a little bit with maybe if we can get a little background on how you got involved into the racing world and in the car culture itself. And, and I know you have a little green alpha that I want to talk about a little bit later, but, uh, but Yeah, yeah, why don't you go ahead and give us a little update on how you as a young kid kind of got all into this?
2: Well, I mean, it's, uh, your typical kid thing. I, I, uh, my my parents sent me away to uh Valley Forge Military Academy for high school. And it was one of those things where they said uh if you don't behave we're going to do we're going to send you away to military school and it I did really it and they did. Yeah. <laughs> and uh it's funny how you know I was uh got 13 14 years old and you're pretty impressionable and one of the guys who was my roommate's um father had a jaguar and he used to talk about jaguar all the time. And I was too stupid at the time to know that, you know, that era of Jaguar probably wasn't the coolest car in the world, but it was to us. And then my other roommate, surprisingly, um, lived in the same town at the time as uh, Roger Penske, when Penske was just starting out and he was working for Alcoa Aluminum. And we used to go over to his backyard and he had a couple of RSK Porsches in the back and stuff. And you know we all said to each other, "Boy, when we can, I'm I'm really going to go racing," you know, but we we're 15 years old. And where did you grow up and what state where what city was I this? grew up in a really horrible little town called McKeesport, Pennsylvania, which uh when I lived there there were 61,000 people and now there's about 18,000. It was dependent on the uh steel mill steel industry. Yeah. Wow. And, and uh so it's kind of eroded into nothing, but It was a lot of fun when I lived there. And then Valley Forge was in Philadelphia. So my parents uh, couldn't get me any further than about 250 miles away, but they probably tried. I don't know. And uh, anyway, so I was just enthusiastic and I, my dad had a Carmen Ghia of all things, which was a very exotic sports car in McKeesport. And uh, I used to drive the living crap out of that thing. I, I would take it up to the ball field in the local, uh, schoolyard and go do, uh, you know, donuts. And uh, I was just basically a horrible, your typical horrible teenager. And then uh, my parents decided to move to California and they didn't want me to be 3000 miles away. So I uh, finished my um, senior year of high school at university high school in West Los Angeles. And that's actually where I met my wife, my future wife at the time.
1: Right, and there were a
2: lot of people in the general area, uh, and in high school that were into sports cars, and somehow I talked my dad into buying the Austin Healey One Hundred Six, and somehow you know we got here in September, rainy season, and back in the day before climate warming was maybe October, November, so the first time it rained, and the side curtains leaked, and he got water up to his butt going to work that was the last time he drove it so i actually inherited it so were you guys did you guys come into southern california was it northern or where no no we came in we lived in uh, west los angeles oh, okay uh near the mormon temple in that yeah. area yeah yeah. and uh wh- and where i went to high school university <laughs> high school is uh, i don't know if you're familiar with the uh, barrington plaza which is off wilshire boulevard and near the Vets, the VA. Oh, by the cemetery, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So it's right right near there. And uh, I used to drive the living crap out of that thing on Sunset Boulevard. In fact, let's see, 1962, Phil Hill won the world championship. Are you aware of that at yeah, all? You know? no,
1: I mean, I knew that he was- Yeah, you he know, was world traveling, traveling during so, that time.
2: So I'm up on Sunset Boulevard and I'm driving the snot out of this uh, Austin Healey and this guy in a Buick station wagon goes flying by me. So he and I start racing through the curvy part of Sunset Boulevard. Yep. And we get up to um, uh, Beverly Glen and I pull up next to him at the light and I look over and it's Phil Hill. I go, <laughs> oh my God, it's Phil Hill. And anyway, he pulls off to go down Beverly Glen towards Wilshire. I go home and write him a letter. Do I have any talent? Will I ever be anything? And so forth. And two years later, I actually got a response from him. Wow, and, uh, and I kept the letter. And when I raced at Monaco in the Historics in two thousand one, I think it was maybe two thousand two. I think it's even years. He was there, and I took the letter, and he signed it again. And my wife took pictures of it. So it pretty cool. Wow, that's that's great.
1: Well, but it took him two years to get back to you.
2: Yeah, it took two years to get back to me, and <laughs> the, he wrote me on the, the Grand Prix uh, Drivers Association letterhead at the time. It was really cool, so it was something I always treasured. So did you did you
1: kind of did you kind of like evolve from like you know the kid driving around in this Austin Healey and um, moving into
2: like uh, SCCA or? Well, it how did it that took be? a while. Um, Essentially, the, the Austin Healy was, you know, I don't know why even people collect it now because it's not any better now than it was then. <laughs> and I took it up to a friend and I took it up to Arrowhead. They had a, a place called Santa's Village up there.
1: Yeah. And they, I've been there they
2: and had now. a hill climb. And one of the sections of the hill climb, you had to catch first gear. Well, uh, everything was synchro except first gear on those Austin Healey's. And of course, I boogered the transmission trying to get first year so I sold that and was able to get my convince my dad to finance he signed a loan for me I bought a, a mini Cooper and uh, so I drove that around but what happened was is that even when I was going to college I was like into you know racing I'd go to all the races uh, my wife Judy and I would uh, you know go to Dodger Stadium, Pomona, Riverside, uh, Grand Prix that they had, the LA Grand Prix's. I was just a fan. I was just crazy about it. I was obsessed with it. And was, I started was, hanging. Was, was I'm sorry.
1: Was Ontario Motor Speedway no, already there? Ontario
2: didn't come in until I was already mm-hmm. racing, I think by 1970. Oh, okay. So I was racing for a few years. But there was a sports car shop in West Los Angeles called Bud Hand Sports Cars. on. Um, Santa Monica Boulevard, and I would hang out there at night, and they'd let me take stuff apart, but never put stuff together. So when I got out of school, I got drafted, and I joined the National Guard to avoid Vietnam. This is 1965, and while I was waiting to go into um, the six months active duty, I took a job selling MGs, Austin Healy's, Lotus, whatever you know. I Kind of lied my way into having experience and got a job doing that and was actually doing pretty well and saved up a bunch of money and while I was at Forks Hill Oklahoma um, they called me from the dealership and said that some guy who worked for Barnum and Bailey had just bought a car and traded in a load of Super 7. Oh wow. And did, and did I want to buy it? So I had couple grand saved, I bought it for $1,800, and they knew I wanted to go race it. So they went and picked it up at the dealership I worked at and had it ready to go racing when I got out of the service. And I was actually able to use it to get my SCCA license. You know, you had to go through a whole novice and then regional license and so forth. So I started racing it in SACA and I was absolutely clueless, but I was brave. Something that goes along with young age. <laughs> I mean, I was so clueless that we we took it to Goleta. There, There's a racetrack in Goleta at the airport. A lot of airport tracks back then. And it understeered badly because the Lotus Super 7, the engine's like way up in front of the thing. So we put big fat tires on the front wheels and skinnier ones. <laughs> On the back, in the back. <laughs> doing anything else. That was our fine tuning. So, um, anyway, uh, in 1966, the end of '66, um, I was going to get married. So we didn't have any money. So the Lotus Super Seven had to go. Oh so, so I sold it to a guy, and as luck would have it, a guy who was a customer of um, Bud Hand Sports Cars had a pumped up. TR4 and he was on the freeway in a cot fryer and so he bought it back from the insurance company and donated it and we made it into a race car so I had my first race car and the guy Lauren Enixon, was instrumental in my next five or six years in racing so we basically at that time I was racing SCCA national races and we raced against the, the Triumph Factory team and Joe Huffaker's team. And these might be all like names you don't recognize, but they were like big time players in the club racing at the time. So at the end of 68, this guy, Lauren said, and he was kind of supporting the thing because I was working for Bristol Myers as a, running a venture marketing group, but I, I didn't really make enough money to, you know, to go racing besides living. Mm-hmm. and uh, anyway lauren decided that maybe we should expand this enterprise and he didn't want to pay for it and he was like in his mid-30s really old at the time to me <laughs> <laughs> but he was successful he had one of the early computer company that studied companies that and it studied random vibrations for um uh the car companies you know so if there was like a a Chevy that was making noise somewhere, he, he had the, the facilities to analyze it. So he was a pretty successful guy. Interesting. Yeah. So he said, well, let's, let's go racing. And he got 20 of his buddies together who were equally as successful. And they all contributed from anywhere from 1000 to $2,000 to come up with about twenty five thirty thousand $30,000, which in today's dollars is about $200,000. So it wasn't a small amount. Right. And they bought a brand new Alpha GTA Junior uh, Auto Delta car from Alfa Romeo fully prepared for racing. And um, so we take it out to the first race. We tested it. Then we took it out to Willow Springs and I promptly turned it over.
1: You <laughs> flipped the car?
2: Yeah, I didn't flip it. But some guy going through turn nine. Have you been to Willow? The, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so the Fastest turn, turn nine. Some guy kind of tapped me in the back, Ooh. sent me off into the toolies. Oh, my goodness. And way out there where there's a road now, there was a, a little shallow runoff ditch, and it had slowed up pretty much by the time it got to that ditch, but just enough momentum to fall on its roof. Oh,
1: my goodness.
2: So I, like I said, I was working for Bristol Myers, so I had to go to New York on business. Bud Hand sports cars fixed the car, you know, Bondo and beat it out. It was aluminum body car. It's worth about probably three, $400,000 today. Anyway, he, they fixed it. I came back. We had a race at Holtville and we won the next probably 35 or 40 SCCA races with that car over three years. Oh, wow. And, um, and we got help from Alf Romeo. They, they gave us parts and $500 a race and, um, so you guys it's were actually,
0: sponsored
2: yeah yeah it was like a factory sponsored deal but apparently i'm learning now that there were like uh, only 13 um factory prepared alfa romeo gtas in the u.s juniors and so it was a turns out it's a pretty unique um if you if you kind of search the alpha bb which i'm sure you're on, yeah, yeah you do a search and put in klein gta comes up with all the history of it and and just a little aside the the the, after i was done with the gta they got me a formula ford the the same group of guys but they sold the gta to a guy named hal roarn in portland who kept it for a while and sold it to a guy named Stu fisher Stu fisher is the guy i bought the green alpha that i met that i saw show yeah Oh, oh man kind of a weird circle yeah. big circle going around
1: i i think i may be wrong but I, I mean i i was the you know last year i was over at uh
2: manuel's
1: uh, well no at santos oh okay um and and anthony there i think the son i think he was preparing a gta in there um for you know for racing uh,
2: I don't know. Well, if it... There's a guy, um, Man- Manny Manassian, who is kind of big in the alpha circles. And, and he owns my old car now. It's out in um, San Fernando at his shop. It may have been at Santos at the time. Oh. Manny's got it, and he still has my name on it and it's still painted similar to what it was. So it ironic. kept the same li- livery and everything with yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Apparently, the time I had it, it was the most successful Although I I won three SCCA national, like Southern California national titles. But um, when we took it to Daytona for the SCCA runoffs, are you familiar with the year-end runoffs? We, We took it to Daytona for the runoffs and we couldn't figure out why the thing I qualified, I think 12th. And we couldn't figure out why the thing was so slow And one of the investors, i call him, one of the partners, he said, do you ever check check to see if the throttle was open all the way? And we go, oh, yeah, that never happens. You know, they checked it and it was only opening halfway. So the next day in the warm-up, I had the fastest lap of the week by three seconds. Went from 12th to first on the first lap. Got hit by the guy who won the race, Harry Theodore Acropolis. I ended up blast on the first lap, and I ended up third. To win you know like uh, third overall so I never did win a national championship and I led the 1970 runoffs start to finish and 200 yards before the finish the engine conked out the, hmm. the distributor Italian electronics. Anyway, the, uh, I know it gets a little laborious because unfortunately I remember detail so just stop <laughs> me. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. This is
1: great. So I mean so the engine in that and that junior was that a 1600?
2: No, the junior had a 1300. Oh. twin plug short stroke 1300 cc engine. Just under 1300 cc with with two Webers? With, with 245 Webers, it made about 140 horsepower, not big horsepower, but. And um, I actually ran it in 1970 in the Trans Am at Riverside, you know, the under 2.5, and finished seventh, you know, behind all the bigger. Oh, cars, wow. You know, as a 1300. So and in so- 1970, Alpha moved me to, um, they continued to pay, but I was part of a guy named Otto Zipper's racing team which was uh, a dealer in a race team guy. And he had myself in the GTA Junior. He had a guy named Vic Provenzano in a full size GTA, a 1600. And he had Scooter Patrick driving a T33 Alpha. And um, so I I was part of his team the second year that the engine conked out at the start finish at, at the end. And then I ran a year of formula Ford and then I hooked on with the BMW factory team called Hyde Park Motors. Right. Huh. And uh, they were in um, B sedan instead of C sedan. And I drove those cars actually from 1972 to 1978. So that would have been like a 2002 body or something like that. That was a 2 th- They're very famous cars. They're 2002s. Um, um, TIIs except they're not fuel injected you can get more horsepower with Weber's oh and they were the Alpina distributor and, B, and Hyde Park Motor was a BMW dealer that uh, was in uh south kind of like off Crenshaw Boulevard and that is uh, that dealership is now um uh what's that dealer down there that's on uh, well I can't remember his name but anyway so there's a dealer that over the years, has evolved. They sold the dealership in the late '80s to a, a Korean guy, and then he kind of
0: like Bob Baker.
2: Bob, uh, no, it was, it's on um, Alameda Boulevard. They, they 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 say they're in the wholesale district. Oh, their, their, yeah, <laughs> I forget. i it'll come to mind. But anyway, so he so I I did basically club racing to '78 with a. Uh, a break in '75. I drove a Ferrari Daytona in a six-hour race, IMSA race at Riverside with a guy named Chris Cord. It was uh, both of ours uh, professional first professional race. So, so at this time, Jeff. I mean, at this time, you're 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 trying.
1: You're seeing that now. People are kind of uh, kind of looking for you to race their
2: cars. So, yeah, well, that yeah, they, it kind of happened a lot. I mean, from from the Lotus Super 7, when I had about two grand into the whole project and got it back when I sold the car, I've never spent another dime on racing. I've always either done it for free or had my expenses paid. Or when I got into EMSA, I'm lucky enough to have gotten paid really well. So when racing. you get
1: into EMSA, I mean, do you, is it is it like you have to be, uh, there's a licensing process there as well?
2: Well, yeah, there is, except with IMSA, you could pretty much get your license out of a Cracker Jack box. (laughs) You just go in and tell them you want to race and they gave you a license. SECA got to the point where they're kind of ticky tacky. You know, they would complain if your upholstery wasn't a stock upholstery. And, you know, they they were just very nitpicky. And IMSA was really, the guy who started at IMSA used to be head of SECA. And he started it specifically to make racing freer and to have more people participating and less politics. And that's. But but you know, I
1: think for like 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 uh, uh, novice like us, like me, I should say, um, you know, I kind of always envisioned SECa as kind of an amateur level, and then EMSA now now you're
2: you know being paid. Well. I would say that um, IMSA today, maybe a third of the drivers are paid. A third of the drivers do it free. Mm. And a third of the drivers pay money. To be in it. Yeah, to be in it. Oh, wow. And uh, SCCA, actually, I mean, the people are paying for their own ride. They're preparing it in their garage. The level of competition is... actually really high. I'm absolutely positive there's some guy racing a bug-eyed Sprite or something somewhere that could be world champion. They'll Mm. never get the chance. So, Mm. you know, it's uh, it's just, you know, within, I guess, within your means. And in 1978, I went to Daytona the first 24 hours I ever did. And I drove a special bodied Ferrari Daytona. And we were actually protested Five minutes before the race and disqualified because it had a special body on it so what made them what was what was so different about the body it looked like a corvette body that was done by michelotti in fact the car now is a 10 million dollar car it's out there but they had run it at Le Mans, and then a guy here in california bought it and he wanted to go racing with it but apparently the The reason it was disqualified is that Peter Gregg brought a special-bodied Porsche 911, you know, with bigger fenders and bigger this and that, and the sanctioning body told him he couldn't run it. So out of spite, he he protested our car because it had a one-of body, even though it was incredibly expensive. So he
1: did. He did it like, if you're getting me,
2: then why aren't you getting them? Yeah, he was a real dick. You know. I know people hold him in high regard, but he was manic-depressant, and he was, you just never knew who you were going to get with Peter Gregg, you know, but um, anyway, it was a great experience, and because I ran that race, or was down there, a guy that worked at Hyde Park Motors went to work for Racing Beat, are you familiar with Racing Beat, the Mazda people? So Racing Beat um, was preparing one of the first RX-7 race cars to go racing in 1979. And the guy who worked at Hyde Park said, well, you ought to get Jeff to drive with you because he's got experience. Well, I, you know, he, he was a great agent because I really didn't have experience. But, <laughs> but I won a lot of, I, I probably won maybe 60 SCCA races during that period of time. Oh, wow. I was just, I mean, I, I was mechanically I'm a failure, but uh, just um, pure speed, it's total instinct. I couldn't touch teach someone to do it if you held a gun to my head. But I can go fast in the car. And uh, anyway, so this guy told uh, Racing Beat, who were going to run on one of the first RX-7s, you need to get Klein because he's been there before. So it was the owner of Racing Beat, a guy named uh, Don Sherman, who was a writer for um, Car and Driver at the time, mm-hmm. and myself. So I ended up being two or three or four seconds quicker than the other drivers, two drivers. So we ran that race, I mean, we I don't know where we finished, but it wasn't very well because we had to change an engine in the middle of the race, which you could do then. And, um, but they were gonna run the car the rest of the year in the IMSA races. And because I was quicker than the owner and I was quicker than Don Sherman, they had me drive it the rest of the year. So I got to do, you know, more races, we didn't win any. And then the next year, racing beat got the Mazda factory deal and myself and a guy named Walt Bourne drove and, um, we finished first and second in the championship. Walt won first. Um, it was actually preordained, but we won about six out of the 15 races and we did really well. And then the next year, I drove for Porsche and we finished fir- first in the 24 hours of Daytona, third overall first in GTU.
1: Now, and are you getting paid at this time? Are you because sounds like you're doing I'm a getting, lot of racing? I got racing. paid
2: with Racing Beat okay. and got my expenses paid. And then with Porsche, I got paid a little bit of money and my expenses. And then at the end of 81, when I'd done the year with Porsche, Mazda had me back and they had me on a retainer or whatever you call it, a personal services contract. So they would pay me to be with different teams that they were supporting. Um, and I did that until uh, 1985 was my last year with Mazda. And I was driving, a, they called it a GTP light car. By mm-hmm. that time in Malibu Grand Prix was a sponsor. So we had a GTU car and a, and a, and a Camel light car. And, uh, by that time, I think I had won 12 or 13 IMSA races. And by the time I was done with INSA, I had won 19 IMSA races. Well, wow, so and, you
1: guys were, tra- you were traveling around the country with this.
2: Yeah. And I had a real job at the same time.
1: Oh my goodness, man.
2: Yeah. I was a uh, regional vice president for, uh, what's now Glasgow Smith Klein. And I, I had, uh, 80 people reporting to me and <laughs> you're like, hang on. I'll talk to you in a couple in a little while. No, you know, I would, I would they, they were pretty accommodating. It was really nice, but it was one of those things where, um, I, I would, you know, I would be at a race. I'd fly home Sunday night, uh, Monday, I'd be in the office. I'd fly out Monday night and then come back Thursday, go to a race, you know, 15 races a year or so it was, you had to be young to do it, but I did it. Wow. Jeez. Then at '86, I I hooked up with a guy named Don Bell, who had a Camel Light car, a GTP Light car, and then he became. Uh, then we kind of morphed into the Spice Factory team in GTP Light. So in '87, I had my best year ever. We uh, we won six races. I had fifteen poles and thirteen fastest lap records. Oh wow, and, uh, that's great! That yeah, was a good year. <laughs> And then Pontiac factory, I was getting paid pretty good by that time. Uh, in some cases, I was getting paid more than my, my regular job, which I still had. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, racing is so cyclical and so uh, unpredictable that sure. you, know, you, don't want, you don't want to quit your day job. Yeah. And in um, 1988, the General Motors Pontiac division decided to go GTP racing with the big V8 engine. And I was part of the team with a guy named Bob Earl, so we did that for a year. And then I stuck with them through '91. But in between, in '89, uh, I drove a 962 for Porsche in a couple races. Wow! And I, and I went to Le Mans with the Jaguar factory in the silk cut Jaguars. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we were a DNF, but that was a great experience. And. um, then around 92, at the end of 92, I was already 47 years old. I've been doing this since I was 20. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I, I, I decided that uh, maybe it was time to quit, you know, and um, I, I basically did one more 24 hour in 2002. But after 92, I just did vintage racing and I've gone over the world. I've done Goodwood. I've gone to Monaco. I've gone to Spa. I've done races all over the US. I've probably driven 70 or 80 vintage cars since 1993. And Jeez. I get paid for that too. And you get paid <laughs> for that as well. Yeah. Holy moly. Well, I've driven and- some. uh, multi-million dollar cars you know i mean cars that are worth five six million dollars oh my goodness well i mean uh, since since you know as far back as i can
1: remember being living here you know you know it's a pilgrimage for me and my family and my kids uh, to go up to monterey right Mm -hmm. to go watch the historics you know, it always lands on my anniversary. Is, congratulations, today is your anniversary. So, yeah, 55 you, years. 55
2: years. It says but more yeah, about so- my wife than it does about me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, um, you know, August 12th is ours, and that's always, you know, Monterey yeah. week. So, you know. I've done
2: Monterey many times. Uh, I mean, the one really time that comes to mind is I drove a 1937 Alfa Romeo called a 12 c37 which is a formula one car from 1937 oh wow it's uh got a four and a half liter twin supercharged v12 runs on alcohol
1: so that would have been still like during the era when enzo
2: ferrari was driving for alpha i think he actually he didn't drive for alpha but i think He was the guy who was running the race team then.
1: Yeah, running the race team at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. A
2: guy named Achille Varza was the primary driver back in the day. And, um, I mean, we we turned laps at Laguna Seca around a minute, 40 seconds in a car with 19-inch wheels, drum brakes, an upside-down gearbox. And, and, you're, and
1: you're sitting so far up off the ground, too.
2: I know. And here we, we go up over that straight under the bridge and at, at about 140 miles an hour, 150. And every time I did it, I thought to myself, you are freaking out of your mind. This is crazy. <laughs> but I drove that car at Monaco, too, and, and went through the tunnel about 160 miles an hour and thought I, was, I, I had to be insane.
1: Holy you know, moly, man.
2: It was fun. <laughs> so,
1: so you've had... I mean, you've had this success with historic racing since you basically retired from IMSA yeah, type racing. From,
2: from, yeah.
1: You know, did, did at any
2: time prior to doing historics, did you race in Europe at all? No, I, in fact, um, I was pretty domesticated. <laughs> I, I didn't have the money or the opportunity. And the only time I went to Europe while I was a professional was to race at Le Mans. and And how uh, many of those did
1: you do how many i just did one with jaguar
2: 1989 in 89 and it was the last year before they put chicanes in on the straight so we were doing uh roughly somewhere between 248 and 252 miles an hour down the mulsanne straight
1: oh my goodness man
2: that's what i say (laughs) (laughs)
1: oh my goodness holy moly yeah
2: it was fast and uh it 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 was some interesting quirks because you were going so fast that when you you went through the Molson kink flat, and you had about another three quarters or a mile to go before the right hander. I'm bad on the names of turns, but it's a slow right hander. I think it's called Arnage, but I, I could be wrong. But you had to ride the brakes for a quarter mile just slightly to get some heat on them. Otherwise, they wouldn't stop. Oh. You know, if you waited the last minute and just pounded the brakes, uh, you didn't have enough heat. So you had to take your left foot and just kind of drag the brake a little bit to get some heat in the brake so you could stop.
1: Holy moly.
2: Yeah. Normally those cars run about, a GTP car runs about 7,000 pounds of downforce, and they had the thing trimmed out at Le so it only made 2,000 pounds of downforce. So it was actually a very difficult car to drive. But... uh, Anyway, it was it was great fun, and I was on the team with uh, a guy named Price Cobb, who won the ne- the next year, and uh, um, Patrick Combe, You know, a lot of guys that had run Formula,
0: yeah, John lammer's yeah. um, yep.
2: You know, so it was an interesting opportunity for me. Um, Johnny Dumfries, who's uh, you know famous. And anyway, so it was it was kind of a cool situation. We had a, we were there for a week, and. Um, Price Cobb and I who Price Cobb raced for Jaguar and he won Le Mans the next year. He's from Austin, Texas now. I just saw him a couple months ago but we had a fun time entertaining each other because uh, these guys were pretty serious and they think Americans are you know kind of I don't know we don't take anything seriously but we we act like we don't but we do you know. So, <laughs> but it was fun. It was so when you experience.
1: When you find yourself in a situation like that, I mean, do you ever kind of like
2: think to yourself like, man, look, look what I'm doing. Look where I am. <laughs> yeah, you, my, I didn't mention this, but my wife's a psychotherapist. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm very familiar with the imposter syndrome. You know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, had a, you know, I, I didn't do any of this stuff without absolutely appreciating the situation I was in. Yeah, if I had to finance it myself. You know, I could either live my life out in luxury or I go one race, you know, one, just one race. So I mean, there's no way I could have afforded to do this. And I was just so fortunate that from, you know, from year one, I had people who helped me and supported me, and, you know, pushed me and took care of me and, uh, and, um, you know, I I appreciate it. I mean, you don't, you know, you don't look at one of these things and say I was entitled to it because I wasn't. Right. I'm sure there are people out there that are just as quick or quicker than I am. It's just statins that I made sure I was a fun guy to be around, you know. (laughs) What, what, if you were to, if, if you,
1: you know, you look back in retrospect and and, and if, if you were to give a piece of advice to a young guy or girl that is interested in the racing and and getting involved in racing and really doesn't know where to go or what to do or you know um but all they know is they want to get behind the wheel be it their own car or with a somebody else what would you
2: what what advice would you give someone like that well i i think in some ways it's like trying to be a movie star you know and you get people who you know, work in restaurants and they plug away. And some people have talent. Some people have luck and some people see an opportunity and make the most of it. So I guess the first advice I would give them is don't even think about it. It's, you know, a hundred to one shot. Mm. The second advice I would give them is if obviously you're talking about somebody who doesn't have the wherewithal to do it, just go out and do it. And if that's the case, I would ingratiate myself with somebody who's doing it either a driver or group or whatever and kind of show your enthusiasm and show your willingness to be there and 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 then jump into it because like I said when I was going to college I hung out at the sports car shop so when it was time to be able to get my own car they were more than happy because we had a relationship you know I had cleaned right. clean parts I had swept the floor I had gone to races I had Lug tires, I had done, you know, whatever. And I didn't know it at the time, but I was putting, putting, I don't know, opportunity in the bank, you know, to be picked up later. So it's a, it's, it's tough, you know, Yeah. and and vintage racing. I mean, you get somebody like me that goes vintage racing. And for the most part, it's like sending uh, Mickey Mantle, if anyone knows who he is, to go out and play Little League baseball because most of the people that are running vintage racing are tremendously successful business people who can now afford to do Walter Mitty type stuff. Right, right, and um, I don't know if you've ever tried to go fast in a car, but it's not as easy as people think, you know, you, you have to, there's a commitment level that most people aren't willing to go through kind of like skiing. You, know? yeah. you can go down the hill or you can fly down the hill.
1: Right. I mean, there's like a threshold of where you kind of have to like, okay, now you're going to go fast.
2: Yeah. And, it, it, and it's, and once you go past that, you have to get past the speed. It has nothing to do with speed. I mean, there's no speed sensation. It's a balance sensation. And so I equated to skiing because skiing's not speed. It's like, it's the balance thing when you're turning in a corner or you you know, whatever. And that's the difference you know if you can sense that 101 miles an hour is too fast and 99 is too slow so you you have to be able to sense what it's doing
1: well it's it's kind of funny because I've done um I've done um uh, some local here well it used to be here at El Toro um some race SCCA there. right near the yeah. uh, I race the I raced the car race there yeah yeah so I've, I've you know I've gone there And, um, you know, like open day, go around the cones and go play and, um, and I do it. This was in another car I had, if I did it, I had a little 914. Um, It would be, I would, it, it was hard, it was hard but if i put somebody that was skilled in my same car they made it seem so smooth and so easy and so graceful where yeah. you know for me it was like accelerating and backing off and accelerating and backing off and and and, and the word or or the you know the the advice i got from, from that from that uh, driver was slow is fast you know
2: yeah i mean that's uh... easy I mean, especially at first, I mean, that professional guy or that seasoned guy is picking up different cues than you are. Yes. And and what I found with, um, let's say, amateur, not amateur, but less skilled drivers, you know, people that come to it later in life, is that um, they're way too early on the brakes ordinarily. And they think the turns over if they're sliding, when you have to slide all the time. Especially, you know, if you're not driving like a big prototype car with a big V8 engine or, you know, downforce and you know aerodynamically pushed to the ground, if you're driving a BMW 2002, every corner you'd be in, you'd be sliding, and most people don't like to. They don't like the sensation. Safety of, sliding. Out of that, yeah, yeah. Well, once you get through that, then you're you're constantly doing corrections. Right. I've got several videos up on um, YouTube of Coronado, me driving this little 1600cc Janetta that I drive for a guy for the last 20 years, a guy named Ray Thompson at Coronado. And the car was so quick that instead of putting this in with BMWs and stuff, we were in with the Cobras and the Corvettes and the GT350s in this car that's about the size of a Super 7. <laughs> If you if you search uh, Janetta Coronado, Janetta spelled G-I-N-E-T-T-A, Coronado, there's uh, some great videos up there of uh, like me coming from the back and winning the race. They're coming from the back of the race, going through a whole 35 or 40 Cobras and Corvettes. And in three laps, I go from the back to the front. With Holy a moly. Car that's got a 1600cc motor. But anyway, and I'm not that special because there are lots of people I've found, that's one of the sobering things about racing is that you realize that there are people that are more committed than you, that there are people that are willing to take more chances than you. And you just have to be comfortable with it. You know, I've had I've never had anyone that's like seconds faster than I, and I've never that I've driven with, and I've never had anyone. That's a second faster than I, but I have had people that'll be a 10th or two faster than I, and I have to admit to myself that that guy's quicker than I am. One guy in particular is a guy named Joe Vardy, who uh, is just an incredible driver. He runs a race team now, but he, you know, we co-drove, but he was always just that little <laughs> quicker, you know, uh, you know, you just, you know, I'm, I'm not Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> so um
1: so uh, are you still right now vintage driving i mean do you have something coming
2: up in the vintage world for you well, the, um the last vintage race i did was uh 2018 just before the plague yeah, so yeah the plague. 2019 was in 20 or pretty well you know 2000 the oh, end gosh. of the, 19 yeah. yeah whatever seems like forever and it seems like a few months ago but I am still racing. The guy owns the Janetta is gonna go race. Uh, I was supposed to do a race last September in Watkins Glen in an alpha, uh, but um, I just couldn't stomach getting on a plane with all the COVID at the time.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, no, I get you,
2: I get that. So I I am planning to go racing as long as we don't have, you know, uh, some- Too many restrictions, yeah. yeah. I, and in vintage racing, I mean, I race, uh, the guy who had the alpha, I was supposed to race. I also, he had a GT 40 Mark four that I raced for him. Oh, wow. He's got, uh, several, uh, ex-pen Sunoco, uh, Can-Am cars. So we're supposed to race those. And so I have to, this is I his keep, collection.
1: This is his collection yeah, of cars. This wow. is his
2: collection of cars. His name's Tom Shaughnessy and he, he just moved to New Hampshire, but he's a great guy. And he's, uh, he does things very professionally when we do go racing. Um, but this plague has pretty well killed it. And, you know, I'm February, I'll be 78 years old. So I'm in great health and I ride a a road bicycle, uh, you know, 8,000 miles a year. So oh I'm my. healthy, but my wife's not feeling that good. And so if I get COVID and bring it home, it would be the dumbest thing I ever did.
1: Yeah, and, no, it, definitely. Hey, um. All
2: right. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about
1: about your alpha that you have
2: now. The the green uh, Julia. it's a green Julia Super. Super, yeah. Yeah, and it's um. What year is that? It's a '67. It's one of the 1800 plus cars that were imported in the U.S. in '67. Um, it was sold to a guy in Portland, and then this guy Stu Moss that I referenced bought it from the guy in Portland in the early '90s. And I'm sure Stu had never wanted to give it up now, except that he had a knee operation and couldn't, couldn't push the clutch anymore. So I, I was able to buy it. But it's a, it's a really special car. I mean, he's totally restored it. I can take no credit for it at all. But it's got about 160, 70 horsepower, two liter motor. It's got a GTA, close ratio gearbox. Oh, it's got wow. it slip differential. It's got Alphaholic. Suspension, um, so it's a lot of fun. So it, it's a it's a it's a four door sports car. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a little canyon thing, and I, yeah, I like a little, little sedans like that. I, I my other cl- part of my collection is a uh, kind of tricked up '64 Volkswagen, <laughs> but <laughs> it's right in my skill set. But. <laughs> But I, I had an Alpha GTV that I sold to a guy in Colorado a couple of years ago. It was a really beautiful car that I bought from a guy named Martin Laver, who's a vintage racer. Uh, I had a, a Lotus, a Land. I had a BMW 2002 Ti. I had uh, 20 Porsches. Oh, my. Um, I've had 10 M3s, including five E30 M3s. So I it's just I'm not rich enough to... To keep them and add something to it so normally if there's something else that i really like i need to sell this thing i've got so when
1: you, you 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 come when you compare the driving experience of like the porsches and the alphas uh, and even the 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 elan um do you feel that those cars are totally different in 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 when you're in the canyon driving
2: them, do you feel a similarity, or do you, or, or, or how do you kind of? Yeah, I, I, the Elan was a total piece of crap. I mean, that really, was probably the only car, vintage car I've ever bought that I didn't make a profit or break even on. I actually, lost money and was the happiest man in the world. <laughs> in fact, the guy who bought it in New Jersey got a hold of me about six months later and said, "This car is the biggest piece of crap." <laughs> I said, well, at least you didn't lose money on it if you, if you drove it for a half hour you literally had to work on it for a month you know i mean it was just oh. horribly put together but the porsches i mean i've had 930 porsches i've had two 911s's 73 911s's which are pretty special cars exactly and, yeah and they're they're pretty much like an alpha i mean the later porsches are um you know, they've they gotten kind of big and cumbersome. The the thing I like about the Alphas is they they were lightweight and, you know, they had a high revving engine and, you know, they're, they're just, you know, it's Italian. Of course, you yeah. know, you, know you, you get in it sometimes and the lights don't work for some reason, you know, but you don't know why. Yeah. You don't know why. <laughs> no one else ever finds out because they just come back on for no reason. <laughs> yeah, then <You> know?
1: <laughs> business as usual. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean, I mean, it's kind of funny because um, I'm not a huge—I haven't had a bunch, a bunch of really exotic, nice cars or anything like that ever in my life, you know. But the few cars that I have had, um, I've had a couple of Alphas, and um, I just seem to always be drawn to the car.
2: To, yeah. to the alpha yeah. it,
1: it calls it calls to me in the sense of of how it feels how it makes me feel how i feel when i'm shifting how, you know you know from you know from second to third from third to fourth um um and, and you know and if i talk to to buddies of mine or friends that don't you know that you know they think of it as like oh it's an alpha piece of crap you're just waiting for it. it's going to break down on you, I don't you
2: know? think it's, yeah i think some people have that I don't think that's true. I agree with you. I don't think so, it's true. I mean, you can can look at a GTV, which the first one came out, I think in the early 60s, maybe even late 50s. And it's still a gorgeous car. I mean, that body on that car is timeless. You know, it's just really beautiful. And your Spider that you have behind you, it's just the same thing, you know? Yeah. It's just, and what I like about Alphas is you get in and the dash in front of you, Looks like a driver's dash. You have those two big gauges, you know, and all that stuff, and it's so cool. And I even bought a an Alpha Stelvio that I've had for two years now, and I've got five thousand miles on it. But you know, I love that car, and some people poo poo them but I mean, I think I've I've had probably ten X5s before I bought this car BMW uh, X5. Yeah, yeah, and what? And I just love this thing. I mean, it's I've got a chip for it, so it makes another 70 horsepower, but you know, and if Alpha's watching, I'm only kidding. But <laughs> but is there's I mean, I just love their cars. I just there's something about them, I agree with you completely, that's just draws you to them. And right. um and I I like the I just like little sedans with the back seat. Maybe from when I had a Mini Cooper and stuff, it just it's I, I mean the the alpha julia i don't know if you ever took a good look at it but i think of it like um what's that haircut where it's long in the back and short in the front you know oh, the this, mullet the mullet yeah it's like the <laughs> mullet of cars it's it's good looking in the front kind of ugly in the back yeah. <laughs> but it, it just looks right and i just love looking at those old pictures from racing in the 60s when they raced these cars and they're, they're so cool looking well and the nice I- thing is is that like of the mechanical pieces in my car would fit in your car yeah I mean alpha just you know took all the suspension and just about everything and just it's all interchangeable you know well I mean I I think with with the Julia like your
1: car it's um unassuming in the sense of what it's what it's able to do. Yeah. You know, as a sports car, you know, you can kind of look at it maybe at a, at a junior or a GTV and kind of go, okay, that's a little more sportier, you know, but, but, you know, you know, I'll show the, I'll show your car to to somebody that's not really an alpha person or something. And they'll like, and you tell them, Oh yeah, that thing's, that thing's badass, That thing (laughs) will run circles around you know a canyon like you wouldn't believe and they're like that thing you know because it is kind of you know kind of boxy and kind of squarey but it is it's a a beautiful car car.
2: if you look at the owner's manual in it it's really funny because it shows you how you can manipulate the seats to sleep in it (laughs) so it's basically the traveling salesman car really you know and they only imported 1800 to the u.s and they they made about 800,000 worldwide during the production run but there are a lot of them out there so now i don't know if you're going to know the answer to this or not but
1: um in ron howard's movie rush uh uh the nikki lauda character had a little alpha I have to go back
2: and look. No, I. Oh,
1: so I, I, I was, I, I I was wondering. I didn't know if it was the Julia or didn't they also make a a bigger sedan? Also,
2: in uh, starting in uh, nineteen, might have been sixty nine. They had one called the Berlina. Berlina. That's what I'm thinking of. Which, um, yeah, is a little bigger car. But they continue to produce these in Europe, and they brought them to the U.S. And they're kind of boxier. They, they, they're, they're smoothed off, but because of their size. But the Julia, for some reason, has a real cult following. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, you know, it's kind of weird. I kind of came at it late because I was riding my bicycle up from the beach and my, my buddy was in his driveway on the other side of the mountain here. And I stopped and he had his car cover off a of Julia that he has. And I looked at it and I go, I always liked them. I want one of those. So then I started looking for it. I tried to buy his from him and thank God I didn't. It was, it's a real rat. But I, uh, I started looking for him and I knew exactly what I wanted because I'm really anal. I wanted a perfect car, but I wanted one that the suspension was done. The engine was done because at my age, I don't want a project. You know, yeah, 10-year like, no. project might be my grandson's project. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, it took me about six months to find it. And um, I was lucky that uh, a guy that I met through the Alpha BB right. put, me on, put me on to the guy who I already knew that was selling his car, told me it was for sale. He hadn't even listed it. I called him and bought it the same day and he had his money the next day. And it took me about three weeks to get it down here from Portland.
1: So was that like a bring-a-trailer find or something like that? Or? No, no,
2: no. It, it, this this guy is kind of into his name's Andrew. He's on the BB, and uh, the Alpha BB. And he's, yeah, yeah. He's, he's 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 one of the longtime guys. He you know anyway. And uh, I don't know what his handle is, but he knew that this guy Stu Moss was was going to put his car up for sale and told me about it. So I contacted him. He told me what he wanted for it. I kind of chiseled him for 500 bucks, which, you know, really didn't make any difference to him or me. Yeah. I, I probably overpaid for it, but I really didn't care because I wanted exactly what I wanted and this car was it. Yeah. So, you
1: know, yeah. Now you have it. And I mean, and it's a beautiful car, man. You know, well, we, uh, we, we saw, or we met up at the, was it the, was it the Italian French, Show and Ban Eyes,
2: I think it was. Yeah, yeah, just a month ago or so. Yeah. yeah, yeah, about a month, month and a half first, ago first or so. First week did. in uh, November, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, maybe you're right. Yeah, right around then. All right. Well, hey, Jeff, it was a pleasure having you on.
2: The pleasure uh, was mine.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and it was fun, fun, fun to hear the stories. Great to hear, you know, about how all the racing evolved and. And uh, again, thank you so much for, for for hopping on here with me. I really Next appreciate it. You have it. three
2: hours, I won't give you the cliff notes.
1: <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> We'll have to do it again. And i you know, and definitely um, you know, you know, if there are any any, you know, Italian or alpha events or anything like that, please reach out to me and let me know because sometimes I don't even know. I find out because I see it two weeks, you know, a week a, a week later i see it on the internet i'm like oh great i didn't knew that know that that was going on so yeah if you ever if there's any other shows or anything like that you know around you know yeah by all means shoot me a message but that'd be that'd be great real for sure okay real good thanks so much my pleasure. thanks so much for being on with me happy holidays happy holidays to you and all, all right. bye-bye happy anniversary
2: yeah
0: <laughs> thanks